You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Stumps, Umps and Beer Pumps, a podcast for you, the players, supporters and the hard-working volunteers that make our glorious game from the lowest to the highest level throughout the UK and beyond. I'm Rick, I'm here with Ian, Richard and Neil as we take you on a journey around our home here at Winsor Cricket Club in Burton-on-Trent. On this podcast we'll bring you updates on Winsor CC We'll also be answering all your questions and inviting you, the listener, to send in your stories from around the cricketing world. We will, of course, have a special guest coming from their view from Cow Corner with their opinions, ideals and anecdotes. So, let's get started and bring you up to date with the goings-on at Winsel, the little club with the big personality. Stumps, bumps and beer bumps. Hello listeners and welcome to the Christmas edition of Stumps, Umps and Beer Pumps. So on this edition we'll be covering what happened at the AGM. Yeah, we've also we've sent Livo out on the road this week. He's been away interviewing a couple of photographers, our very own Simon Hickey, It's a great insight. And he's also been to see David Griffin, the photographer from Derbyshire. And we'll also be covering how Neil is going out touring the country, discovering Christmas markets. And he'll be telling us which one he thinks is the best. he would also be telling us which hot dogs and beers he rates. So, Richard, the AGM. Yeah, it's a good turnout, actually. I was quite uh, quite pleased. The, uh, we had a slightly different venue. It was at the school up the road, which was good. Um, but, uh, yeah, good turnout. There's not a lot to report. Uh, same sort of uh, setup from last year. Committee did a great job uh, last year, and I think uh, that's reflected in everybody being voted back in. So that's the same committee. Uh, two captains have, re- have retained their spots, so Clark is going to be first team captain. And Winter, having won the league and got promotion to Division 6, he stayed as second team captain. Oh, so he's got his chance to uh, <coughs> get promoted again then? Yeah, yeah, I think uh, his goal. I, I think they've got a chance, to be honest with you. I think we've got some uh, two good sides again. But yeah, probably the biggest news from the AGM is that we're, we're going to have a, a Sunday side again after a number of years. Paul Mallis uh, decided to step into the breach and he's going to be Sunday captain. So we are looking for fixtures. We've probably got about five or six 
already lined up but if there's any clubs out there who fancy a Sunday fixture mixed ability get in touch by the usual means and uh, we'll arrange it but yeah so I'm looking forward to working with Paul Meller and I think he's enthusiastic to bring some of the juniors on with it as well yeah is that like a, a league thing then of the Sunday or no is it no friendly? it's just to be friendly so mixed ability uh, so you'll get some second teamers first teamers the odd one but mainly to give the lads who aren't getting a game on a Saturday a bit of a run out uh, the, the more players we're getting, the harder it is to get them all into the teams at the same time. Yeah. And to bring the uh, kids on, I think, a little bit more. Definitely, it? yeah, absolutely. We've bring got... the kids through. And are there any, any sort of women involved as well? Or... Yeah, I'm sure there will be. Um, you know, it's, as I say, mixed ability. So uh, wherever possible, there'll be uh, the juniors. We've got some good lads. We need to start bringing some of those kids that we've started off the Dynamos and All-Stars and through to the under 11 hard balls get them in the team really there's nothing wrong with chucking them in on a Sunday yeah, it gives them experience as well doesn't it then? definitely Stumps, ups, and pops. right then Neil every time it comes to winter I always think of you because you, you dedicate your life to cricket <laughs> in the summer I'm alive <laughs> you do you're there every time I'm down the ground you're there Joe never sees you but as soon as that last game's finished Joe gets a clause in, don't she? And you're off to all these shopping malls all over the place, into Westfield. And then suddenly, you've started becoming a Christmas market freak. Every time time I look at Twitter, you're there with some sausage in your hand. (laughs) You say that? Yeah, you're there, honestly. Or you've got a silly hat on, or you're standing in front of a statue. What is the fascination with all these markets? Well, no, no fascination really. It just uh, gets me out and about. Um, I tell you what, I tried to do actually. I've been to Mad Two Swords recently, oh, right. and I tried to put my hat on the uh, <laughs> famous people. But you didn't uh, put it on the Queen, did you? No, I couldn't get that close. But my favourite, <laughs> my favourite one was Yoda. That's the closest I could get. Really? Yeah. Well, he was probably Murray or Alan. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, Tendulkar was there, but uh, there was too much, there were too many people around him. Did he say anything to you? Well. Tendulkar. <laughs> it was waxwork. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, every time you look on Twitter, literally, you're at a different venue. Who chooses the venues? Uh, not me. Oh, okay. Joe. It just yeah. goes where he's told. Yeah. You had a nice time. <laughs> which is which? Which Christmas market? You've been to Birmingham. Yeah, I think oh, that one really was poor. Was it? Yeah, not, not Manchester, much going on. Because I, I nipped in there. Yeah, that was probably the best one I've been to. I've been to London. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Manchester was probably the best one, I think. Was it? Yeah. There were some big queues for some of the food. Yeah. What what food did you have there? Um, I had, in Birmingham, uh, we queued up for ages, and Jay would there's like a big cheese baguette, like half a cheese baguette. Bought it about three or four quid. Anyway, she gets it, it's garlic bread. She looked like garlic bread. <laughs> so I had to scoff the thing. <laughs> As well as your own? I, no, I, I wanted hot dogs, but I wanted that one then, because I had to eat half a, half a little garlic bread. They have their foot-long things, don't they? They look nice. But I was in Manchester, they did um, Yorkshire pudding in a bowl full with roast dinner on top of it, and the queue must have been about 100 yards long for this this food. It's crazy. So we just went in Cosy Club next yeah. door. <laughs> that defeat the object to go to the Christmas <laughs> exactly, market, yeah. really. Well, I won't queue up for that sort of stuff. No, we get some different cheeses, we get some different, try some different mulled wines and whatever else. Cider and Di Serrano, can't go wrong, can you? Cider and Di Serrano? Yeah. In the same glass? Yeah, hot. Oh, really? What's that taste like? Oh, cider and Di Serrano in a glass. <laughs> <laughs> Funny enough. Stumps, ups, and beer bumps. Right, 
right folks, we're now going to go over to Cow Corner where we've got David Griffin and Simon Hickey with our old brand Ian Liver. Welcome David. Thank you, pleased to be here. And alongside David is our very own snapper at Winsor Cricket Club, photographer Simon Hickey. Greetings. Great to see you outside of the season, Simon. Absolutely. It's a, a little bit of a different environment to be chatting to you two gents today. It's normally we'd be around the boundary of a cricket ground. And generally, obviously, it'd be a little bit warmer than it is today. But great to see you both. Today, we'll be chatting about your involvement in cricket at the respective club and county levels, the photos you take. And uh, I think the but first thing I'd like to say is just say what a fabulous job you both do, whether it's at county or club level. Because without you guys, as part of what I'd class as the unsung members of the cricket community... Uh, we wouldn't get to see what goes on, to be honest, would we? Thank so you. let's get started by uh, getting to know a little bit more about the two years. So start with you, David. Do you want to tell us a little bit about, more about your earliest memories of sport and cricket in particular? Well, it was always cricket for me above any other sport. Uh, as, a, as a boy in the late 60s, um, early 70s, I was very fortunate that A, my dad liked cricket, and B, the BBC broadcast Test Cricket, Sunday League Cricket, Gillette and Benson Hedges Cup Cricket. So there was always cricket to watch. So by the time my dad said to me on the uh, 3rd of August 1974, we're going down to watch Derbyshire play Notts at Ilkeston, which is where I was born and where we lived, um, I was more than happy to A, to go, but B, I knew what to expect Mm -hmm. because I'd seen uh, a lot of cricket on the television. Now, ostensibly, we were going to see Gary Sobers. Okay. That was the reason we were going. Sobers was playing for Nottinghamshire. And, of course, as any boy knew at that time, Sobers was... Famous for lots of things, but hitting six sixes at Swansea in 1968 was one of them. And we went in, it was a scorching hot day, there were thousands there, we sat on the concrete stand. Sobers didn't disappoint, he scored the fastest century of the season. He got 130, of which 100 was scored in fours. He hit 25 fours, but no sixes. And when he walked off, the ground rose to applaud him. I did too, because I knew that was the convention. I'd seen it on the television. And I turned to my dad and I said, Dad, but he didn't hit any sixes. <laughs> and he put his hand on my left shoulder and he looked down at me and he said, he didn't need to, lad. And that was my very first day watching a professional cricket match. And um, I don't believe in fate. I don't believe in any of those kinds of things. But it's almost as if the cricketing gods were, were trying to drag me in somehow. And that was the way they did it. So that was my first day of County Cricket. So when did Derbyshire stop playing at Ilkeston? 1994 was the okay. last time we played there. A championship match against Nottinghamshire. Mm-hmm. But that was the, the first one, was 74. And I actually joined the club that day as a member because it was so cheap and my dad knew the value of a pound and he knew that getting me a membership was, was worth having. To go to the, the games whenever you wanted to. Absolutely. What about you, Simon? What's your earliest memory of cricket and sport? Well, again, like David, uh, I was a lad in the 60s, uh, early 70s, really watching black and white images of Test Match cricket with yeah. my granddad on a flickery old black and white telly mm-hmm. at his cottage in, uh, in Shropshire, and then watching my local club down in Kent, uh, Saltwell Cricket Club, uh, going there with the family, with my dad, grandparents. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, proper village cricket in a very picturesque ground. And it was the only sport I was vaguely any good at anyway at school. Um, so really, that, that was it. Again, boyhood memories from the 60s, early 70s. And it all tends to be from that family thing. If you've been taken down there in the first place, you get to play, you get to watch, uh, whether it be at club or county level, if you get, get involved there, definitely. Absolutely. Did you play yourself, David? Um, I did play some league cricket. Uh, I played cricket. Um, at Ilkeston, Ilkeston Rutland, played at West Hallam briefly, Shipley Hall for a few years, but then uh, I played police cricket later in life, joined the police and played for 
the Nottinghamshire Police side, which was pretty good at the time. It had some some quite good players and mm-hmm. probably of the higher standard than I was. But unfortunately, or fortunately, depending where you look at it, watching the game, believe it or not, was always something I preferred to play in it. It's unusual for that because most people say play as long as you can. But for me, it was about watching Derbyshire. I think knowing you, Simon, you're about the same, aren't you? Very similar, yeah. A couple of games for the University Second Eleven, and uh, that was about it, really. But you'd sit and watch all day? Absolutely, and in fact, I did. <laughs> uh, back in the day when Test Match Cricket was on terrestrial television. Yeah. And yep. got into trouble as a result. Often. But, uh, yeah, can't beat it. Oh, to, to this day, I, I, I will always claim that, obviously, it was uh, Test Matches and the 11 o'clock on a Thursday morning that cost me my O-levels guilty but you, do you know what it's one of those things that's yeah there's a lot of us of our age who say that uh, because obviously every Thursday when the test matches were on that's all we ever did and mm. I, I might have stayed at home when I shouldn't have stayed at home etc and the rest day on Sunday was always a great disappointment back Absolutely. in the day which is a great conversation we've had down the ground this year with some of the juniors about rest days on a Sunday they look as though they look at us like we're going mad uh, because they you know, when we get an all-stars group down here between the ages of five and eight they want to play cricket for two hours, three hours, four hours, every single day. And when you say, well, back in the day, we used to have a day off on a Sunday. They look as, as, as though we've gone completely mad because they just think that's 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 playtime. Definitely without a shadow. So. <laughs> so you, you've been involved then. So let's think, 74, be 26, 47 years now then, David Derbyshire. Yeah, next year we'll be 49th as a member. Right. Yes. So it's a long time. And how, how long was it before you got involved with the club as well as just watching? In the 80s, so I've probably been in my early 20s, I was a supporters club committee member mm-hmm. at that point. I always had an interest in the way the club was run. Um, and in the 90s, I was elected to the general committee. Spent 15 years on the committee, it then became a board. So I was the honorary secretary for eight years. Uh, I was an administrative di- administration director when it became a board. But I think everything has a shelf life and 15 years of, of being in a responsible position um, uh, where you've been held to account, quite rightly, by yeah. the very members that, you know, I'd been in in previous years, I'd been holding people to account who were in my position. Uh, I felt that that was enough. So, yeah, from about the late 90s, I got actively involved in mm-hmm. the county club, but, yeah, the supporters club committee back in the 80s. What about yourself then, Simon? What, what, any involvement outside of our own club in, in, back in the day? Nope, not at all. Because you were too busy lecturing? Well, yeah, I suppose so, uh, but not that I was any good as a cricketer anyway. And bringing up the family, as we did in Melbourne, moved around a lot with the job, but uh, never really settled until we moved to uh, Melbourne in 87. Never really got involved, didn't even join a camera club till 2005. Okay. So. Uh, even though you've been taking photos for many e- years? Even though I've been shooting since 77. Right. It's one of those things you sort of felt that it was a kind of elite thing that only really good photographers joined a camera club. And then when I joined, I realised that wasn't the case. So now I'm a regional judge for the North and East Midlands Photographic Federation. Okay. How popular are those camera clubs these days? It's a bit difficult at the moment, particularly with COVID Mm -hmm. and lots of virtual meetings with Zoom and that kind of thing. Uh, But still pretty popular. Uh, Digital photography has made, made it very different. Uh, back in the day, uh, before the digital revolution, mm-hmm. it was all about prints and darkroom work and shooting on 35mm slides and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. The digital revolution has, has changed things considerably mm-hmm. uh, since then. And it's relatively easy to get into it for not 
that much money now, not compared with shooting film in the 70s, for example. And every shot co- literally costs something. It literally costs money. Stumps, bumps and beer bumps. When did you get involved in photography to start with then, David? I think for me it was kind of both accidental and incidental. I, I, I asked to borrow the family camera, which was a, a, an Instamatic camera with a, 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 some sort of filming. I don't know what it what it was, frankly, um, can I take the camera to the cricket? And I'd be told, well, yeah, but only take one shot or two shots. So my Which earliest... is the cost of taking the photo. Yeah, I mean, my earliest images is just the odd shot of a player at Ilkeston. And I took the camera, that camera, to Lords in 78 to the Benson's final. And I got a picture of Eddie Barlow standing on the balcony. And compositionally and in terms of quality, it's nothing to write home about. But, and I'm sure Simon will agree with this, lots of people ask what's the best camera, and of course the best camera is the one you've got with you. Absolutely. And what's the best photograph is the one that only you've got. And I've never seen an image of Barlow on the balcony at Lord's other than the one I took with that little Instamatic. So that was how it started. And then all I simply did was stepped up to an Olympus trip, which was another film camera, but slightly better quality. And throughout the 80s and 90s, it was just taking incidental images. So we'd go into a ground, get a photo of the ground. If you're in the pavilion and a player walked past you, uh, coming in off the field with a bat raised, a quick snap. But it was n- there was never any intention that these would see the light of day mm. beyond me and my mates would get together at the end of each season. We'd meet in a pub, we'd have five minutes going through the photos we took during the year and it got stuck in a box. And it's only the onset of social media and the digital age that has allowed these images to see the light of day. That's... Rings so many bells with what you were saying, Simon. If you'd have not spent all that money on beer, back in the, you know, the, the story of your life as an undergraduate, and the, the, it'd be phenomenal to put that as a storybook together. Absolutely. When I did start in 77, went to the postgrad at Leicester University, I got a point and shoot. Well, it was actually a manual and everything camera. You know, you set everything, no focusing aids, anything. I progressed to a contacts copy, the old Kiev 4 camera, which you may remember from the dim and distant past. And I used to hang around with a, a punk rock band, Leicester-based, called the Disco Zombies. <laughs> so we used to do all their publicity stuff. One of the guys went on to become um, a dresser for Derek Jarman for film work. Mm-hmm. Somebody else became a record producer. Somebody else became something in the city. Uh, but, you know, cutting my teeth, in using, shooting black and white, band photography, uh, that, that was great fun. And then as you get older, it's family snapping, yeah, really. Yes. And I always say the most important shot you take are the record shots that mean something to you, mm-hmm. something to the family. And if I do a talk at a camera club, yes, you can talk about all the technical stuff, this, that and the other, but at the end of the day, it's about capturing memories. 100%. It's great talking to you guys before that we started this podcast because you're both on the same page when it comes to the technical stuff and you talk about the detail that not only myself, but probably 99% of the people who listen to the podcast wouldn't have a clue what we're talking about. But you've just nailed it in that memory thing. And it's whether it's a cricketer, whether it's a family, whether it's some wildlife that you've done, Dave, that's a memory. You, you'll remember exactly where you were, exactly where you took it, what the weather was like. You'll remember all of those things, won't you, straight absolutely, away? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, and David does it for Derbyshire. I, I do it for the Windsor Cricket Club. And it's also a social community thing as well, that you're trying to build pictorial history mm. of the club at a particular absolutely. point in time. Now, we talk about oral histories. Absolutely. Uh, oral history projects which then become embedded in the mm. psyche, if you like, of a particular organisation. I love I loved that way of looking at it as a, as a pictorial history. If you go back to our club's 140 years old, how many photos are there from 100 years ago or 60 years? There's, there's nothing in comparison to what we're going to have. Even 30 years ago. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. You know, I look around at the pavilion now and you see some nice old black and white photos, but actually compared to what we're going to be able to do in 20 years' time to memorise what we've done last year, the year before, it's just phenomenal compared to what well, we were. Well, we are if people do something with them. I'll make a little plea yeah, here. Because point. you walk into most pavilions around Derbyshire uh, in clubland and you see right up to about the turn of the century, the year 2000, there's loads and loads of lovely colour prints in the... I hesitate to say, sadly, they're usually the originals, and I would always say, get them scanned and copied yeah. and put the originals away. Um, but since 2000, so, so sort of the digitally age, we've almost got beyond the point of of taking actual action mm. to print them off and put them into frames. And as we go through our lives and we, we, we find a deceased relative, we open a drawer, and they're full of all these little square things or six before things, That's and it. oh, these are real photographs. Yeah. Those aren't going to be there. So we've got to, I keep insisting to my family, you're taking all these photographs of the little granddaughter, print some of them off, or at least make sure you've stored them somewhere that people will be able to find them. In That's the a great room. point. And lots of backups and backups and yeah. backups. Yeah, my, right. my background's in IT, so um, the importance of father, grandfather, generations of backups. Yep. Absolutely critical. Stumps, bumps and beer bumps. Going back to your photography start then, Simon, where did cricket come in? Because obviously we talked about the, the punk band. Where did the cricket start? Believe it or not, the first, uh, apart, apart from the odd, you know, going to the odd test match, uh, as I did in 81 and uh, shooting England, Australia, and may have got Lily, may have got, I don't think Thompson was playing actually in, in, in that match, um, Alan Border, etc, etc. It wasn't until 2016, it was the first match I photographed at Swarkston. So my mate Marshall, who, who photographs Melbourne for, for Melbourne Cricket Club, said let's, let's go to Swarkston this afternoon, so we did. Uh, it was Swarks, I can't remember what, what it was at the Division 4 South match. Didn't think anything of it. And the team that they played, Winsill Cricket Club. And that's before I'd even heard of Winsill, before we'd even moved to Burton. It's just one of those really strange coincidences. And we could literally hit a six to where you live now. You literally can, yes. <laughs> I'm literally down the road on Newton Road. It's yeah, remarkable. That's fabulous. And then we moved to Burton in back end of 2017. And mm-hmm. Got to the summer, we'd, we'd done these some of the essential works on the house, or rather paid somebody to do them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought, yeah, well, I, I fancy having a go. I mean, I couldn't do it at Melbourne because Marshall was, Marshall was shooting at Melbourne. So let's, let's have a go at, at Windsor Cricket Club. Mm-hmm. So I, I dropped the club a line, yeah. Dunk got back to me, he did, yeah. and uh, the rest is history, yeah. they say. What about yourself that day? When did it turn from being uh, taking a load of photos, going to the pub at the end of the season, to actually taking it seriously? The digital age, because I... Again, still only bought a point and shoot. It was a little Fuji 3 million pixel camera, about 2003. And at this stage, counties were just starting or just launched website. And um, Derbyshire, somebody at Derbyshire said to me, you're at every game. You go to watch Derbyshire home and away every game. You've always got your camera with you. Can we have some pictures from you? Now, an IT specialist, I wasn't. I never touched a computer till I was 40. And um, I, I'd go to games and I'd just sort of get a few snaps. I look back at them now. They're not even as good, even the resolution's not as good as the film images on the Olympus trip. But suddenly these pictures were being used publicly on a website, Mm -hmm. even though they were pretty awful, I have to say. And it really went from there, and it escalated quite quickly, because the next thing I realised was I needed better equipment. The next thing I realised was I needed accreditation, which I was able to get fairly quickly to get ECB accreditation. But then what you found is people wanted your images and suddenly you saw your images in print and realised they just didn't stack up against others. 
And I think the final Damascene moment was when I supplied it, almost a full-page picture to the cricket paper. This would be about 10 or 11 years ago. And it was only in its infancy, the paper. And I looked through the paper. I went and bought it, and I looked at all the images. And I saw mine, and I thought, it's all right, but it's not as good yeah. as everybody else's. Mm -hmm. And so I then just took a decision, right, if you're sitting on the boundary, and I'm sure Simon will agree with me, and I think it doesn't matter what job you do, actually. It's all about, you know, equipment. I sit on the boundary... And I think to myself, right, I'm shooting with a, a lens that to replace now would cost £11,000. A camera body that to replace now would cost you six grand. you are using the best gear for photographing cricket that money can buy. Therefore, if I don't get the shots, it's down to me. I can never blame the equipment because the lens isn't fast enough or um, the, 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 the frame rate's not good enough or any of those kinds of things. Uh, and, and so that's where it all sort of it went like that. And for those who can't see what I'm doing, yeah. I, I mean, it's a big upward curve. It's it went really, really quickly. <coughs> went really quickly. Yeah. So where, where was your transition from your original career to a photographer then? Well, I, um, I'd always watched... I was very fortunate being a police officer meant that even in my working full-time, I can remember in 1989, I only missed two days of Derbyshire season <laughs> away. And that's because I was at court. Home and away? Yeah. Wow. And because being a policeman, you, you, a, you got a lot of time off in the week, but also you got your annual leave and everything else. So I, I worked overtime in the winter and always took it for time off in the summer. So really, for most of the last 40 years, I've watched virtually all of Derbyshire's cricket home and away and you know the last 10 or 12 years all of it mm -hmm. home and away so yeah it just kind of it wasn't a case of well I'm not a policeman now so now I'll be a photographer it just I was I was both and able to do both when did you retire as a policeman 2002 I was injured in a in an accident at work so mm -hmm. took early retirement um, which made life in many ways even easier in terms of the cricket Okay, that's interesting. So you've gone from being a, a full-time police officer slash full-time watcher, but part-time snapper, to actually then effectively turn it into a, 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 another career for yourself. Yes, and also I'm the club's heritage officer, mm -hmm. historian, archivist, statistician. So it's kind of a full-time, a full-time, yeah, it's full-time really, but mm -hmm. it's, it's you can dip in and out, you know, you mm -hmm. don't have to spend, some, some days I'll spend 10 hours on Derbyshire. You know, in, in, during the winter, other times I'll, I'll do virtually nothing. There's very few days I don't do something in relation to Derbyshire. As we now know these days, cricket is, is now an all-year-round sport. Um, you know, it is, okay, summer sport here in the UK, but we can watch it on TV. There is something, to, there's Derbyshire players playing around yeah. the world right now. There's a new Derbyshire coach coming mm -hmm. from overseas to us. Uh, there's something always clicking over all the time. It's slightly different to club cricket. We're in this sort of shall we say, this vacuum time that we go from sort of around September to around about November, December, where not a lot happens apart from rules meetings, the compliment comes out from the league, we'll get the fixtures in a few weeks' time. And then all of a sudden in January, we go into pre-season training and it starts to build up. Whereas I know the Derbyshire lads are already back at pre-season training. Yeah, yeah. And they're doing the fitness test to start to get goes. So it's slightly different between the two. Your involvement in uh, Derbyshire um, and the ECB accreditation, how important is that, the ECB accreditation, for you to go around and do that professionally? Well, you can't do it without accreditation. Right. So, um, I mean, you will occasionally get people who will ask permission to, to, to do an occasional mm -hmm. shoot and I think then it depends really on whether or not the, the parent club are willing to host you. It's got a lot stricter with COVID because with COVID they were restricting the numbers even if you were accredited. Right. Um, I was very fortunate that COVID didn't impact on me that every game I wanted to go to I could go to home mm -hmm. and away 
even behind closed doors. But I think that was based upon the length of time that I've been accredited, really. Okay. Um, but every year, irrespective of how long you've been accredited, you've got to produce evidence of your work. Okay. And that it's been published. Um, so for me, it's usually newspapers, magazines, Derbyshire website, etc. But you've also got to have £10 million worth of public liability insurance. Wow. Um, you know, so you, you've, you've, it's not that expensive, but you've got to have it nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, so so it's, you can't do the job without it, basically. How did you get on with other photographers? It's great having two photographers here. What's it like being at a ground? You know, use Taunton as an example, because you said you know, that's one of your favourite grounds. It's quite a small ground, so it's quite sort of all close-knit. Everyone's quite close together. Yeah. How do you and the other photographers get on? Is there a bit of comp- competitiveness between you? I've never found competitiveness you ju- I just get on with them just chat and, 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 and have a laugh and a joke the, w- the one thing I'm not a fan of is is it, we may come on to this but it, it's when you're photographing a big game I've no desire to photograph test cricket but when I went to finals day for example T20 finals day at Edgbaston you're given a spot on the ground and that's it for the day right and you'll see whenever the uh, international cricket is televised you'll see all the snappers they're all together and um, I, I don't really want to be next to somebody getting the same shot that they've got. Um, I'd rather be a bit more of a free spirit and, yeah. and roam around the ground and get a different shot from this angle or that angle. So, you know, if I go to Lords and it's a four-day game, there's hardly anybody there. Why wouldn't you take advantage of being able to go up into Absolutely. the stands and, and get a different shot rather than the one that everybody else has got? It's funny you should say that because I was listening to Philip Brown, the cricket photographer. Yeah, yeah. He was interviewed on... Uh, TMS on View from the Boundary. He's just written a book, hasn't he? He has, that's, that's, book, that's yeah. right, called The Colours of Cricket. Mm. Uh, and he, uh, in the interview, he was asked, well, wh- where, where do you go? And he said, well, it, it's like this. If I think it's going to be a wicket sort of day, I sort of go near the sight screen. If I think it's going to be lots of runs, I, I go square. Uh, and that's, that's where I like to go to, to get the shots. Mm. I think that's about right, if you're not restricted. Mm. And therein lies the problem. You know, a good example would be Headingley, T20 game. They'll get 15,000. Trent Bridge, 15,000, 16,000. Um, you can get straight on because there's a f- the, the space, usually at the Radcliffe Road end, to be able to do that. But to go side on where you really want to be at a T20 game because you get all the thrills and spills of runouts and you get, as you rightly say, Simon, you get the crashing cover drives or the balls and all this kind of thing. Um, but you can't get side on, really, because mm. of the grounds full. You know, you're really, really struggling. So we shouldn't complain too much, but there is a great joy about four-day cricket because you know, yeah. I guess the same applies to league cricket because well, you can almost s- go where you want. Well, I was going to come on to that. The last time I went to Derbyshire, which was a couple of seasons ago now, I, think, I don't know what the capacity is of the ground in Derby. Uh, well, 5,000 is the limit. Well, if there was four figures there, yeah. you'd, you'd be lucky. So basically, you go anywhere you want to. Yeah. Yeah. As long as your lens isn't longer than 300 millimetres, whatever that means, mm-hmm. uh, you, you can go where you like. And I, th- I think that's the, the big difference that we were going to come on to talk about, that the difference between a club photographer and a county photographer. You, you've got the, the pleasure of top-class cricket, David, but the restrictions that are around it for you in certain places in particular. Whereas, Simon, you've got the absolute pleasure of being able to go where you want around the ground. That's right. Um, and I think it shows with the photographs that you take that they can be from any angle at any point. The downside is that you've got the backgrounds that David doesn't have to put up with. 
Uh, you, you've got you've got nice stands behind you. You've got well, sometimes you have. You see, again, it, it depends where you get put. I mean, okay. headingly last year in the T20, we were told where we could go, uh, and in the background, I've just got uh, the blotter. You know, uh, that was it. Basically, in every shot was the blotter. And that, um, that, that was one of Philip Brown's points. He said, uh, you know, the biggest thing that troubles him is backgrounds. Yeah. And let's be honest, cricket's a difficult game to photograph in the first place because you've got a red ball against the background that's not normally white, apart from when it's on the side screen. So any shot that you're taking from mid on, mid off, you're going to get a decent shot with the side screen in the background, potentially. Anywhere else on the ground, it's a red ball against a crowd in a lot of places, or in Simon's case, a red ball against houses, trees. Washing lines. Washing yeah. lines, yeah. Bins. And it causes all kinds of issues. Where I suspect Simon and I both do the same thing is we're what I would consider contextual photographers. Um, looking at that, um, it's today, this has happened today. But if you work for Getty, 99 times out of 100, what they're looking for is an absolutely clean background. So you'll find them looking for the highest point on the ground. They will focus on the batsman only and with a nice green background. Mm. They don't want it to be contextual because when, they, when the, that picture goes on the BBC website or wherever, wherever else it goes, they don't want you to know that that picture was taken three weeks ago or it was taken six weeks ago or whatever. Ah. Whereas I'm very specific. I want you to know when you see the picture that is published today, it was taken today. And I suspect you're the same, Simon. That, that's right. Um, you know, people like to see images of the players that they know at the club that they play for. Yeah. Where they're playing the matches. Yeah. So you want to be able to say, yeah, that, that's Westy getting a hundred at when he gets a hundred uh, down at Mill Lane, mm -hmm. or whoever's done well at Melbourne, or whatever. Yeah. It, it's all about the memories and. The ground is, is a big part of that. It goes back to that. It goes back to that memory, doesn't it? Absolutely. You know, we, we've got the, the conversation that we had earlier about uh, our last day of the season for our second team and trying to get those last important moments of the second team winning the championship. I was lucky I managed to video the catch on the last day of the one that won us the championship and it happened to be our skipper. So, But that's just pure luck. And that's just purely because I was just recording it on my phone record, delete. And I got it. If I wasn't at the right end of the ground, I wouldn't have got it. So it's where it's, I understand from what you guys have said, there's a little bit of luck involved to a certain extent, but a lot yeah. of knowledge to put yourself in the no, right no, place. there is luck. I've got a picture of Chris Rogers celebrating, he'd reached a century against Kent, and in the background is the most annoyed looking and disdainful Rob Key. Now that <laughs> image is of no value, no one's going to want to use that image of Chris Rogers. It's a normal photo of Rob Key. But, well, indeed. But the beauty of it is, is, is at that moment and at that time, and when I, I often do on my Twitter timeline and on this day, I can put that photograph and on this day and put with a distinctly unimpressed Rob Key in the background. Mm -hmm. It pertains specifically to that image, but you wouldn't find anyone actually wanting to use that image in a newspaper or anywhere else because they'd want a nice, clean image of, uh, of Chris Rogers. They, but I like that, and that's just the difference between... Absolutely. Contextual, what I consider contextual. Yeah, I think one of my favourite images over the last few years, and there's a lot of people who listen to this podcast or remember this very clearly, was when Stokesy 
hit those winning runs at Headingley a couple of years ago in the Test match against the Aussies. And there's a great shot from square of the, the, the wicket when, as he hits it, you can see everybody in the Western Terrace going up with their arms in the air. And you know, the, the contextualisation of that photo, of that moment, is phenomenal. It's even better on video, actually, because it's just watching it all happen live. But the, everyone knows where they were when that happened, if you're a cricket fan. Uh, and I think that's what makes But the image to the front won the MCC photograph of the year. But you, you made a, an interesting point there. Technically, it's a good photograph. But the look part was, if you were a photographer yeah. and been given the other end of the ground, wouldn't have got it because you're told where to go when you get to the ground. You wouldn't have that. You just Absolutely. have you just have his backside. Yeah. So there is an element of good fortune. The T20 finals day, we didn't do ourselves justice anyway. But I was put down at the pavilion end, perfectly usable spot really. But the Derbyshire dressing room was on the far end of the, the other end of the ground. <laughs> so so getting any sort of decent pictures of the, our players coming on, going off, or it was impossible because I was 200 yards away. And it's a great day to be able to get yeah. some fabulous photos, especially if the weather holds, as I think it did this year, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, so 2019, 2019 sorry. Glorious, definitely. Simon, for our Super Over, let's give you some uh, few gentle throwdowns. So, mm. Simon, favourite ground? Saltwood Cricket Club in Kent. Well, David, what about yours? Taunton, headquarters of Somerset. Lovely. Best batter you've ever photographed or favourite batsman, Simon? Well, this could be tricky um, because I was at Trent Bridge in 1981 for England-Australia, first test match of the series. I may have photographed Alan Border, but if it, if it wasn't him, it would have to have been uh, Both, so Ian Botham. David. Favourite, Vivian Richards. Um, the best I've photographed... Toss up probably between Kumar Sangakara and Ricky Ponting. If you put a gun to my head, Ponting. Brilliant. What about your best bowler, favourite bowler that you photographed? Um, again, same same test match. I might have photographed Dennis Lilly, uh, but I certainly photographed Ian Botham. Uh, interesting what Simon said there, because Lilly, without a doubt, is my favourite. But I would say the best I've photographed professionally Jimmy Anderson probably um, a, a pace bowler and Marilithran I think of the superstar the slow bowlers yeah absolutely back to your favourite tipple then Simon alcoholic or non-alcoholic yeah, whatever you want well I'm going to give you two uh, for non-alcoholic it's got to be tea and for alcoholic brandy David I like real ales essentially and uh, so long as a pub's got a good Array of them, not too strong. A nice quaffing ale, about four percent, will do for me. Sounds good uh, to nothing me. Nothing specific though. And our, our favourite question is about cricket tea item of choice, Simon, because we haven't had them for a while. I know, sadly missed. <laughs> uh, tea. Okay. Pork pie, but there is a proviso. It's got to be birds. If oh. it's not birds pork pie, then it's not really pork pie, as far as I'm concerned. Do you get a birds pork pie at the Encora ground? No, you have to take your own. Okay. And what about your sporting hero, cricket or otherwise, Simon? Bit of a left field selection here, but it's going to be Ken Miles. <laughs> I'm looking at you vacantly. I know. Ken Miles uh, featured in Ford v Ferrari, played by Christian Bale. Mm -hmm. uh, family member, uh, dad's, my dad's second cousin. Ah. Uh, worked with Carol Shelby, uh, developer of the Ford GT40. Got you. Um, so yeah different F family hero left field but it's got to be Ken Miles most definitely David 
cricketing hero Eddie Barlow, he transformed Derbyshire when I was a boy mm-hmm. and basically the the reason I follow the game and have the interest I have in the game now was because of Barlow's influence. Um, away from cricket, Bruce Springsteen, I've seen him 44 times, I've been to see him a few times in America. Including um, in 2009, which we'll come to a yes, little bit indeed. later on, won't we, sir? Thanks <laughs> for that, guys. Super over. Stumps, ups and beer pumps. So you've been Manchester, did you yeah, say? Yeah, I went last weekend, yeah. I've, yeah. I've heard, actually, did you not go on the uh, Christmas simulator in Manchester? The cricket simulator, oh, yeah. Oh, the cricket it simulator. Bit, it was a bit of a surprise. The Christmas uh, simulator. Yeah, <laughs> Santa, I had to do Santa. Yeah. <laughs> Flying around the sky. Yeah, it was a bit of a surprise. We're uh, walking in the <laughs> It's called Sixes. Uh, there's a couple in London, there's one in Manchester. I think they're going to have one in Birmingham. Basically, you're on a, a simulator, you're in a cage... Uh, like a net and there's a video of the bowler comes towards you and releases the ball and you can have it on amateur club pro international i never went over that far but basically you have an over and try and get as many runs as you can so there's pads all around the room and you hit these pads for a six or a four and uh, away you go so i think we had 48 balls each i got 125 uh avril got about 80 but it's really good. I think if you went as a gang of you, it would be a good thing. Yeah. They have beers and you can have a burger there and all that sort of thing. So How much is that to go to then? I think it was about 30 quid for the half hour, which ain't too bad at all, really. Um, Each, like, or for a pot? No, that's it. That's for your lane. 35 quid for your lane, I think it okay. was. Um, Try that, that sweep you used to do. Try and do that. I didn't try the sweep, no. It didn't come out the bag. <laughs> I did try the old Dilshan scoop, but that didn't work out. They took my teeth out. Uh, but yeah, it was good. I uh, really enjoyed it. If the one comes to Birmingham, it might be something that we can get the lads to. Uh, I think there's one coming. I think it's comes to the Bowling Arts. Yeah. yeah, it was good. enjoyed it. That's why I said that's why I was in Manchester, really. So. Okay. So we've obviously we're doing the markets, but uh, while we're talking about gallivanting round, we also need some photographs. Of everyone in the, in, yeah, the, in the yeah. in the in the bobble hats, especially yeah. for Neil. Well, we've it's obviously you know we 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 were selling the bobble hats. We've put that out to all the other clubs as well, actually. So there's an email gone out to all the chairmen of uh, the various clubs in Derbyshire to see if we want they want to jump on the bobble hat uh, phenomenon. Uh, but seriously, if any Winslow lads are out there or anybody really wants to send us a photo of them in their bobble hat in strange uh, places like at the markets. On Mr Bean's head. Mr Bean, we've got one. So send us in by the usual channels and um, we'll, we'll put them on our Twitter feed. Stumps, ups and beer bumps. Let's go back to Car Corner near the rest from Simon and David. Stumps, ups and beer bumps. T- tell us, David, what, give us a, sort of an idea, just sort of, I'm asking this as a, a fan, uh, not a photographer. What's your sort of typical day as a county cricket photographer when you're sort of either at Derbyshire or on the road with them? Well, I'm normally in grounds well before eight in the morning. That's just my personal Before choice. eight? Yeah. I, I just like to get there. If it's a T20, I like to be there at lunchtime. I just like to be there hours and hours before. But a lot of that's to do with stats, preparation, everything else. In terms of the photography, one thing I'm interested in is where the pitch is. Mm-hmm. Because obviously sometimes your best view... For example, Derby's not got a lot of elevated points, but there's a fire escape at the side of the media centre that's got a really good um, view of the pitch, mm-hmm. but not if you're in line with it, because right. obviously you can't go there. So you go and look, where's the where, which, which deck are we on today? Mm-hmm. Um, similarly, s- side on. Um, Derby's a very wide ground. Mm. You're looking at 90 metre boundaries, easy, fr- from uh, if you're right in the middle of the square. 
so again, you're thinking, well, do I want to go on that side or that side? And have we got a crowd in? Because again, going back to what we talked about before, so I mean, if you can get some photographs with players in the background, sorry, with spectators in the background, that that's good too. And then it really boils down to, right, what are we doing? Are we? Because I'm, I'm photographing essentially from a Derby, Derbyshire-centric perspective, but I'm also mindful that somebody yep. who at that point may not have already asked for photographs mm -hmm. might want something from the opposition. Mm -hmm. So you've got to be thinking, right, so if Alistair Cook makes runs today, actually, you never know, I might need a picture of him, so I'm going to photograph him too. Mm -hmm. um, and then you're looking at things which, this might sound really ridiculous, but particularly in one-day cricket, um, making sure the sponsor's logo is well to the fore on a shirt. Now, that's not as easy as it sounds if you're a batsman who square drives or pulls or even plays straight because the first thing you do is you put your hands and your handle of your bat in front of your, your body. And so you can't always see it. So it's little things like that. Um, knowing where the pavilion is is a pretty obvious thing, but I don't know if you've noticed in modern cricket, and it is one of the banes of my life, apart <laughs> from overrates, is the fact that players only seem to salute the one part of the ground where no one's paid. The dressing room. <laughs> they turn the helmet off and, and wave the bat Wait at to the, the dressing mates. room. To the mates, which is fine, yep. but they don't seem to bother with the rest of the ground. And so you're thinking to yourself, right, if he gets to three figures, I've got to get herring over there um, to, to, uh, to get the photo. The other thing is just keeping an eye on the stats. Is somebody coming up to a landmark? Is there something, is it his 50th wicket? Is it his 3,000th run? Or something where you can actually get that moment where they... Actually That's that. interesting. I like that. that. That happened a lot during the recent World Cup. They yes. were putting the milestones up, weren't yes. they? So if this is his 250th six, it's getting that photo. Well, before every day I've got milestones that are coming up during that day or during that game. Um, and then there are things that happen during the game. So, for example, I'm looking down the scorecard all the time. The six down and somebody's got three wickets. You're thinking, right, he could get five. Somebody could get five here. And, of course, up until about ten years ago, nobody raised the ball in the air when they took five wickets. Now they do. Mm -hmm. But they also hold it up when they walk off. And very often I'm the only photographer in the ground. So when a player walks off, I'm actually, I did it to Hamidullah Kadri at Cardiff in 90, uh, 2017. I've done it this year to Derbyshire Bowlers walking off. It's their first five for, and I'm shouting, smile, smile, hold it up, hold it up, smile. And, you know, I remember, I won't tell you who the bowler was, but I know now his father's got the picture on his um, mantelpiece. But I remember a cricketer coming off the field at... Um, uh, Cheltenham some years ago and as he walked he'd taken five for the first time and I said come on then get a ball smile and he looked at the picture and said oh, I look stupid I hate that I said no no years to come you'll be glad I got that, that was and I one. saw his dad this year and he said oh that picture he says yeah it's on, on my mind absolutely because it is capturing that moment and of course no one ever captured Les Jackson a single five for and he took hundreds, or Tommy Mitchell, or even Alan Ward, Mike Hendrick, these people. Mm. Um, so, so it is, it's capturing that particular moment. So there's a whole plethora of things too. So you must have a, a very close um, relationship, therefore, with a lot of the players. They know that they, they must be looking for the photos themselves as well. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're very kind, and it's usually done privately through, mm -hmm. through messaging, either yeah. social media or text to say thank you for, for particular stuff. But my view is, if you do it right, if you take your helmet off and you salute the crowd and you've got your bat in there and you've scored 100, I'll be taking probably 200 shots of you while you're doing it. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're leaping into the air and all that, I'll, I'll get the shots. 
Um, you've just got to be looking in the right direction. There are some players for whom a landmark doesn't mean as much. Some will just sort of gently hold the bat up and, and won't even look up. And away they go again. Nothing you can do about that. Absolutely. That, that's an interesting sort of tangent, inverted commas, he says, to go to where I was going to say to Simon. We have the same with the club, don't we? Where we've now got our opposition players will contact us every now and again. Would you mind if we use that? Because they had right. a milestone in particular. That's right. Uh, I tend to try and get a pretty even coverage of all the players from both sides, batting and bowling. Uh, and yeah, we, we get requests for pictures for the club websites. Um, uh, it's a good thing to do. And I think we're getting a bit of a reputation for doing it as well. Yeah, I think between yourself and Marshall over at Melbourne, the two of you is just sort of raising the bar in terms of what's being put out there, which makes a massive difference. And it's at our level, it's having the regular regularity of it rather than a photographer who might come once or twice a season and take a few photos and see what that is. It's you actually more than that, though, because it's not easy. You can go to, let's say, a camera club and say um, somebody's showing their particular pictures of a cricket match. And they might be a very competent photographer, but they're no good as a cricket photographer. I don't know what you do, David, but you have to go tight on players. Yep. I tend to crop quite heavily on the images because the more you crop, you've got to focus on the essence of what's going on. Whether it's a bowler and a delivery stride, mm -hmm. a batsman having played an exquisite shot, a run out, a wicket, you've got to go tight on what it is you're trying to show. Yeah, I would agree. So how many how many photos would you take here on a, a normal Saturday when you're down the ground with us, Simon? If I'm shooting with a Nikon gear, uh, probably a couple of thousand um, over six hours. With the Olympus, I get a bit carried away um, <laughs> because it shoots at up to, well, 10 frames a second, certainly. Um, I don't go into machine gun mode. You take it in bursts of three and four at a time because what... What you don't want to have to, have to do is, is sift through too many. But yeah, three, uh, two and a half thousand is probably the most I've done. Uh, and the fewest has probably been 1,500. So if we said 2,000 plus or minus. Which then gives us, uh, we're very lucky as a club, we then have between sort of 80 to 100 photos a week that you're, by the time you've edited them. What, what I do is I whittle those down to a short list of around 120, 140. And then out of those, I then look for 60 plus. Mm -hmm. uh, I then have to crop each image. My exposure is usually pretty good, so I don't have to do much in the way of exposure fixing in um, on the computer. Um, so crop, post-process, you have to size them for Facebook because on Facebook you need 2048 yeah. pixels on the mm -hmm. longest dimension for best quality. And uh, the whole process probably takes about three and a half, four hours, something like that. So from a six hour watching us down at Winsall. There's another four hours. But it's, it's, a, it's a 10 hour job. To it's get... a 10 hour job mm -hmm. to churn out 60, 80 pictures, something like that. Well, there is an issue, you see, with, with frame rates mm -hmm. because on my Nikon gear, I've only got six frames a second. Now, if you're trying to get a bowler on the run up bowling yeah. action, you might get the arm in the right position, but in the course of two frames, the arm's going to go through 180 degrees. And if you're trying to capture the ball at the point of release, you may get it, but you may not get it. So I think, you know, on the pro gear, when you're shooting 10, 12 frames a second, you need to have less goes at trying to get it, if that's what you're after. Let me ask you a slightly technical question. I've got to be careful how I do this for obviously listeners, but you've been doing a lot of work with us down here now for the last three or four years, but I think... If I remember rightly, you were doing some, was it some motorsport as well, not too long ago? Uh, I've had a get motorsport on uh, Barmouth, yeah. motocross. Uh -huh. So how did that differ? Because again, 
the, the amount of frames you can take per second there is going to make a big difference, surely. Or is Mo it because it's a big... Motor racing is easy. Okay. Um, again, a, a sort of story here. In my estate agency photography, I, I, I encountered some interesting individuals, <laughs> including a cameraman for Top Gear, and also a lady called Jody Hemming, who is a racing driver instructor. And her husband just happens to be one of Lewis Hamilton's pit crew. And I was asking, uh, you know, she said about photography and, you know, motorsport. He said, yeah, the, the guys like pictures of themselves going fast. It doesn't matter whether there's bits hanging off the car. They just like to see lots of motion in what's going on. The appearance of going fast. It's dead easy to do. You just pan uh, at, a, at, a, at a wide aperture mm -hmm. to blur the background. You pan, car sharp, background's blurry. They might only be doing 30 miles an hour. But it looks fast. But it looks fast, and that's what matters. Motocross, that's quite easy, really. Um, you can use different shutter speeds depending on what you're trying to achieve. Uh, with motorsport, it's good practice to try and get some movement in the wheels. Because if everything's static, if you're shooting at a thousand or two thousand of a second, mm -hmm. if it's static, that's what it looks like. It looks static. If you've got some movement somewhere, that gives you the impression of the speed, whether or not they're actually going fast. Okay. I'm going to throw that question over to David because yours is wildlife. Do you have that similar issues in terms of doing wildlife photography in terms of difference between cricket and wildlife and the difference between motorsports and cricket? I don't think there is that big a difference, really. Okay. With wildlife, the lens is never long enough, and every wildlife photographer mm -hmm. will tell you that. For me, the joy of the wildlife photography is being outdoors and, and trying to get a nice shot. I'm not looking for rarity. If a rarity flies into you, that's fine, but I'm quite happy to shoot a robin mm -hmm. or, or a kestrel or you know, stuff that you see a lot of. Um, so I'm looking for uncluttered backgrounds and, and a nice, sharp mm -hmm. um, eye. Um, but it, and it's not that different to, to cricket, frankly. It, it is still the same technique, the same procedure. You're still on a monopod. Um, you just you just tend to do a bit more standing around with uh, with wildlife. And I think on wildlife, you, you need the faster shutter speeds as well, particularly absolutely. for birds in flight. Absolutely. So you're using similar sorts of shutter speeds than if you're shooting cricket. Yeah, absolutely. There, there, there isn't that that degree of difference. Okay. Okay. Going to bring you right back around to cricket because obviously that's what we, we <laughs> talk about on the podcast first. I'm just going to ask you a very simple question to both of you. What, what's been your sort of highlight the last three or four years here, Simon, in terms of because what memories have you got from uh, highlight photographing at the club? Two things, really. When I started photographing Windsill in, uh, nine, in 2018, it was middle of June, just like June 10, something like that. I think we were either bottom or second bottom of the table. I don't think we lost another match all season. Yeah, remember that. And we nearly made it into the Division 3 mm -hmm south with the reorganisation. So I think that was quite nice coming onto the ground and you, I probably didn't really make a difference. But it's, it's nice to think that you, you might have done something, that maybe it, players might have tried to do something. And then of course the following season we went up. Absolutely. Then we had, uh, that, that, that was obviously great. Mm -hmm. uh, the pandemic season was interesting. That's one way to put uh, it. I think that's as much as one can say. And then, of course, with the twos last season, mm -hmm. you know, getting promotion, winning the title on the last day of the season, those, those, are, those are biggest. 
And there are some shots that are nice to get, and I'd like to get comedy shots as well, if I possibly can. Do you mean those one or two drop catches from one or two players who will well, remain well, I'm, 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 I'm thinking them, of, 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 of the looks of horror as the ball hurtles towards you in the slips. It could be Duggo's appealing, uh, which is... Absolute quality. Um, which is tremendous. Or it could be the picture of two rather rotund gentlemen side-on next to each other, um, which... Which is not from our club, Which, uh, well, they were, actually. Um, <laughs> but uh, that, that got a lot of laughs. So I like doing the comedy stuff, but it's nice getting good moments, you know, when Cammy gets a good score yeah. or somebody does get 100. Uh, you know, th- those are the good moments. And it, it, it's made our life in terms of social media as a club a lot easier because when it comes to putting stuff out during the winter, for example, it's a doddle to find a great photo of Eddie with a cover drive. It's a doddle to find Duggo appealing or Dunk appealing. You know, it's, it's, it's a dead easy for us. And that, that's, uh, you know, talking about the, the, the season uh, as to what I do. Um, yeah, come Christmas, New Year time, I will be looking for highlights because what you want to do is get some momentum going and start to get, you know, interest does Absolutely. tend to drop a little bit. But if you can then start to raise interest December, January with, you know, Nice shots of good things happening during yep. during the season. People's memories get triggered. Then people start to turn up for training. So we, we start to try and get some snaps of training Absolutely. in January every time. Yeah, definitely. I think for yourself, David, it's very similar, isn't it? You have that little tiny break at the end of the season. But then it is starting to ramp up even from now, isn't it? Sort of with the pre-season training. Will you go along to that every now and again? I will. Um, for me, it's more than the moment. It's written stuff because I do the, the archive stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's doing written work for the website. But there's very rarely a day goes by without a request from the club for a picture of something from somewhere. Um, and so it gives me an opportunity to either look through the club archive or my own archive. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's really a dull moment. Never quite. Well, there is somebody else from Derbyshire who I will be interviewing very shortly, will remain nameless. Um, but I, I'll ask you the question openly. How excited are you about the new coach from Mickey Arthur coming to join the club? Well, somebody said to me, and I don't wish to be disrespectful at all to the people that have gone over the past quarter of a century, but somebody said to me during a game at Derby towards the end of last season, we've had the same coach for 25 years, but with a different name. And when I sat down and talked to them about it, they were, they were talking about the fact that We'd, we'd, we'd gone back to Derbyshire mm-hmm. people. Although Dave Houghton, the first time he came, was obviously an outsider. Um, you know, he, he come back this time, it was another Derbyshire person. And that's not to say that any of those appointments were bad appointments because there was some success along the way. But I think it's quite interesting that we've said, right, we're not going to go down that route now. We're not going to go for a former Derbyshire mm-hmm. player. We're going to go, not left field at all, because, I mean, he's a significant figure within the coaching world. And so I think it's a very positive um, appointment. However, I'll say what I always say, and I think it is, you know, 48 years of watching Derbyshire, and I think it's probably the most pragmatic thing to say about anything in life. I'll judge it, I'll judge the appointment when we see the, the cricket on the field. Absolutely. And that, that, that's, that is far from being critical at all, because I do think it's a wonderful appointment. I think it's a very um, interesting one, and I think we've done well to get it. But we, we'll only know how good it is. Um, you know, he comes with a great reputation, mm-hmm. um, and let's hope he can, can deliver. But it will all be about on the field next Without season and the year after, obviously. Absolutely. I think the interesting thing, looking sort of outside in, is having a, a coach of the reputation of Mickey there, 
Who's he going to attract? You know, picking up those players that maybe might not have looked at Derbyshire before. And you know, if I look back to when I was growing up and seeing where Michael Holding was playing, you know, absolute hero of mine to know that he was playing at this place called Little Derby. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd love to see those sort of level come back to Derbyshire again. Um, because clearly you know, the, the club could justify that, couldn't it? Well, he, he should know these people. He's, mm. he's coached for international sides. Absolutely. So, um, And I think what we've probably lacked in the overseas players in the last few years is, is any degree of permanence. You know, you look down the road and cast a glance at, at Dan Christian at Nottinghamshire and he's been an ever-present virtually yep. in their T20 side and has made such a positive difference. Mm. And, you know, we can go back to the halcyon days of John Wright being at Derbyshire for... 10, 12 seasons and, and Michael being there for seven years and I accept that that's probably not going to happen in the modern game but it'd be nice if you could just have somebody who could last the season it'd be um, nice to get not just come in for a handful of games and yeah, be gone or again. even to get an Imran Tahir again but he comes back two, three, four, five yes, years absolutely. rather than just the one season two seasons yep. uh, because that's what you start to see with these franchise cricketers now who they end up going to the same club year yep. in year out that's what we want isn't it absolutely make absolutely. a big difference so. I'm going to Start to wrap us up to uh, our uh, last big question about our six aside in the mm-hmm. moment, chaps. Uh, but I just want to recognise something that I picked up in my research for tonight. And yeah, tell us about this remarkable record of yours, David, and the thousandth consecutive day photograph in uh, Derbyshire. When I was a kid, I was at Ilkeston, and in the old days, all three of us remember, used to have a Sunday league match sandwiched in the middle of a championship match. And we'd watched on the Saturday, watched on the Sunday, school on the Monday. And as we walked down the steps of the pavilion, we were collecting autographs. I was 15 and Alan Hill came down the steps and he said to this bloke who's reading his paper, uh, we'll see you tomorrow, shall we then? And he looked up and he went, oh, I never miss. And those two words, never miss, stuck with me for my entire life. Didn't matter what I did, I wanted to watch Derbyshire. I would go to school not wanting to go to school because I wanted to be at the cricket. It was the only thing that mattered to me. It's a stupid, ridiculous... (laughs) I think it's controlled obsession. There's no question about it. It is ridiculous, really, to want to never miss a single day of your cricket team. And as I alluded earlier, alluded to earlier, in 89, I managed to see every day bar two. And when I got into the 21st century, I had the odd season where I missed just a day here and there. Uh, but yeah, in 2009, I went to see Bruce Springsteen at uh, Hyde Park uh, in London and we were playing Yorkshire in a T20 game at Headingley. And every day Derbyshire have played since then, a first team cricket, home or away. And this includes going all the way to Chester Street for a, a rained off T20 game, all the way there and all the way back. Yeah, I've, I've watched every single day that Derbyshire have played. And actually, that's what probably gives me the greatest amount of pride that for 12 years I've managed to produce and beyond that but for the last 12 years I've managed to produce a photographic archive which is unmatched mm-hmm. and I'm very proud of that because there's no other county has had a photographer at every day game of county okay. cricket you go to Lords, they've got a great photographer there but he only does the first two days of championship match for Middlesex that's his, his contract Okay. he doesn't do the days three and four so, so they will miss things yeah. and so you know, I can look Wayne Madsen and Alex Hughes in the eye and say, I've seen every single ball you've bowled, I've seen every single innings, every single run you've scored. Um, and I photograph a, a lot of it. And so it's crazy, it's mm. stupid, um, and I have to accept that one day the run will come to an end. Um, but, you know, it's been good. And your thousandth day was celebrated at? Uh, Lords, day three of the championship match at Lords. So it was a choice of either Derby or Lords, which one was it going to be? 
Well, when the fixtures came out, of course, had we had a full season in 2020, I'm not sure where it was yes, because we missed 50 days of yeah, cricket yeah. in 2020. So it could have it been just anywhere. felt nice, though. Oh, absolutely. I have absolutely. to ask, did the county do anything to celebrate it? Um, not specifically. I think there was, there was quite a quite a bit of social media traction, shall yeah. we say, that yeah. day. Because yeah. it's a big number to... Very big number. Yeah, I think I'm always there. I think I mean I do get appreciated. I'm, I'm not going to say for it that I don't. Um, but yeah, it was. Yeah, we're going for two thousand now. But I think I'll be seventy odd by the time. The Mickey Arthur will still be coach. Derbyshire County champions. That'd be Absolutely, good, something like that. Stumps, umps, and beer pumps. You're, you're entering the stumps, umps, and beer pumps six aside competition. And you need to name your perfect six-a-side team. Um, dead simple rules, two bowlers, two batsmen, wicketkeeper, and an all-rounder. Uh, we've had all kinds of uh, people putting in so far. You can have internationals, you can have your best mate. It doesn't really matter. There's always a nice little reason behind all of them. So I'm going to start with you, Simon. Who, who's your six-a-side competi- uh, six side? Well, 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 I'm a fan of science fiction, so I'm going to employ a bit of time travel here. Mm-hmm. And going back to when I started watching cricket, uh, late 60s. Onwards. So my two bowlers are John Snow and deadly Derek Underwood. Uh, my two batsmen, Colin Milburn, who always made a big impression. He only played mm. nine tests, but made a huge impression on he me did. at that age because of his clean hitting and just the sheer, sheer size of the man, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Jeff Boycott, because in a six aside, you want somebody who can actually hold their end up. And I think Jeffrey would probably actually uh, do that uh, pretty well. Yeah. Uh, Wicket keeper. The great Alan Knott. I did have his autograph on a cricket bat uh, once, uh, which was nice. Got it at uh, Daniel Folkestone when Kent were playing. And my all-rounder and skipper would be Ray Illingworth. Okay. Not many people know this, but Ray Illingworth is only one of nine players to get 20,000 first-class runs and I think 200 first-class wickets. No, sorry, 2,000 first-class wickets. Love that. Thank you, Simon. David, your six aside. Uh, well, I, I I picked two, but I'm only going to give you one. One was going to be my Derbyshire six aside. The other was the the, the all time six aside. And you're going to give us your Derbyshire, aren't you? Uh, no, I'll give you the no because the Derbyshire <laughs> Ooh, two six asides. Uh, yeah, well, right. the Derbyshire one would have been Barnett, Morris, Malcolm, Hendrick, Taylor, and Cork. But but I'll, I'll I'll pass on that one. I've got my two batsmen of Viv Richards and Ricky Ponting, simply because I don't think I've ever seen a better batsman than Viv Richards. And Ricky Ponting just had something about him that only Viv had of, of other players. He had that just something when he walked out. You knew when Viv walked out. We all watched Viv, yep. whether it was live or on TV. But Ponting had a bit of something about him as well in yep. that respect. So uh, Richards and Ponting, my bowlers, because I was a wannabe fast bowler and I just think there's nothing better than watching fast bowlers in action. I've gone for Dennis Lynn and Richard Hadley. I think mm-hmm. Hadley, I saw him bowl against Notting- against Derbyshire at Trent Bridge. And Barnett and Bowler were batting, and he, they couldn't lay a ball on him. You couldn't go forward, you couldn't go back, you couldn't do anything. It was impossible to score off him. Bob Taylor's my keeper. I know Alan Knott was a, a far better batsman, but Taylor, for me, was the epitome of, Incredible of keeping wicket. And then, of course, Gary Sobers has to be the all-rounder. Acres, Even you know, though he didn't hit any sixes. No, he didn't, but, but he could bowl three different forms of, you know, two lots of spin and, and seam up as well. So we've got a spinner in there as well, a pace bowler and a great batsman. So that's my six. Go on, run through that Derbyshire one again. Well, it was Barnett and Morris as the two batsmen, because they're the best two batsmen that I've seen play for us. I've gone with English players, or who played for England, or were... were, In fact, yes, they all played for England. Uh, Devon Malcolm and Mark Hendrick. Malcolm, because he was an astonishing match winner. 
Look at his record, phenomenal. You know, that game at the Oval for England. Yeah, a remarkable match winner. And Hendrick, I don't think there's been... It's interesting, I talked to John Shawcroft, who wrote the history of Derbyshire, and he saw Cliff Gladwin play, who was routinely you know, labelled alongside Les Jackson. He said, I, you know, I think Hendrick was a better bowler than, than Gladwin. So Hendrick's a bit, Taylor, obviously, the Again. keeper. And then my all-rounder is Cork. Because Dominic was a match winner as a twenty-year-old, mm-hmm. and he was a match winner as a forty-year-old, and in between, and you can't leave him out. Amazing things, no. Because if you if you know him yourself, and you left him out, he'd be giving you grief for he it. He probably afterwards. would if he listens to this, of course. Well, I'll make sure I tweet it to him anyway. So, <laughs> hey, it's been absolutely fabulous, chaps. Thanks for your time. It's always great to talk cricket with everyone, but obviously talking from a different perspective. Thanks for joining us in Cab Corner. Thank you very much. Thank you. Stumps, bumps, and beer bumps. So, following on from the snappers, who obviously with, with, uh, had a great interview with Livo, one of the big benefits that we have down at Winsley is that Simon turns up for most home matches and some away ones. And it's fantastic, isn't it, Neil, to, yeah. to have him there and to record some of the, the moments that go on at the club. Silly moments, good moments. The, the photographs are fantastic. We're lucky to have him. I think there's one or two other clubs who would love to have the same sort of... Yeah, uh, uh, you know, ability to draw on photographs, and I think what he's done in the last few weeks, he's now given all those photographs to us, and they're going to get catalogued. So there's literally thousands of photos we publish each week where we can about 150 uh, on Facebook. But he's now given us access to all of his images that he takes, and that's going to be catalogued into some sort of Google Drive or something, so everybody can access it and uh, draw upon. The memories that we've got it's a fantastic asset to the club yeah some are good memories some are good bad memories i mean there's a few of me being clean bowled a few times i bet there's more than a few in the yeah, i think it's about four or five <laughs> i'm surprised they catch it really because the balls are that fast i mean you've got the ball on there what, what, you must have some fantastic shutter speed because i mean who balls that fast well they're not that fast now they must be to get the ball on the picture as well what, and get get you out at the same time yeah that's what i'm saying right then we're going to run a, a winsel christmas wish list yeah so what do you what do you want for christmas for winsel uh, I just want the, the club to carry on as they are, doing really well, progressing on and off the field. Um, like to see the seconds get promoted again. Be a tough ask, but I think Neil thinks we can do it. I think so, yeah. Uh, perhaps a couple of younger players, perhaps. Yeah. But uh, the idea would be is to see the seconds in Div 5 and the first in Div- Division 3 consolidate the position and then push on for the first team somewhere down the next couple of years, I think, really. Um, probably get a couple of new players in the team but everybody just to carry on as they are everybody gets on really well at the club and I think it's it's a good place to be very friendly club uh, we've got a great junior section which is a Wednesday night I love it down there on a Wednesday night there's loads of people turn up parents, kids we must have 100 people down the club on a Wednesday night and it's fantastic to see and I want that to continue as well So, Have you got anything specific Kurt? You'd like to see... You'd like a few more wickets, wouldn't you, now? No, no. I'm about ready to retire, really. Mm. Oh, yeah? So. I'm, not, I'm not releasing that today, though, so don't worry about that. No, I've got a few not, more years not, in Yeah. Well, when, when you do release it, can the, the, yeah, the, yeah, pod, I'll, I'll let the you podcast know. be first to know? Yeah. We'll announce it on the podcast. Yeah. yeah. When yeah. would it be, do you think? Yeah, 2030, somewhere 2030? Like How old will we be then? Oh, I mean, half past eight. <laughs> 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 no, I don't know. I've got a few more years in me, I think. Stumps, bumps and beer. Thanks for that, Simon and David. Uh, over to Rich now for Wintel's Christmas message. So, from all the team at Stump Sumps and Beer Pumps, that's me, Neil, Rick and Livo, we wish you all a Merry Christmas and a fantastic New Year. Cheers. So, that's all we've got time for for this edition of Stump Sumps and Beer Pumps. Thank you to our special guest today. 
If you know someone at your club that wishes to come and have a chat with us and talk about your club, then please email us on stumps, umps and beer pumps at gmail.com. Also, please like and subscribe, and also you can follow us on Twitter. If you've got any questions, any stories or any funny anecdotes, then please again email us on stumps, umps and beer pumps at gmail.com. We hope you've enjoyed our tour around Club Cricket Life. So please join us again for more of the same. Thank you very much for listening. This is Stump Sumps and Beer Pumps. So until next time, there's your one for the over. Stumps, Umps and Beer Pumps. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Stump, 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 stump.